Here we are, series six of the High Performance Podcast. Are you ready to go again, Professor Damien Hughes? I absolutely am, Jake. I'm excited to be back. It's uh, it's phenomenal. I've recorded some amazing guests uh, and met some amazing people that have shared some incredible life-affirming wisdom. Oh, we're so excited. Uh, before we get going, just um, to remind you that we have a book coming out. If you want to order it, then you can in the uh, link in the description to this podcast. It's called High Performance Lessons from the Best on Becoming Your Best. I'd love you to order the book. You'll get loads from it. It's not just conversations with people who've joined us on the podcast. It's also Damien giving us some amazing insights into the research that's gone on in the in the world that he operates in about how people can perform to their very best, um, some stories from the both of us. So that's the new book, High Performance, Lessons from the Best on Becoming Your Best. You can find it wherever you'd normally buy your book. You can pre-order it now. It's out on the 9th of December. And if you want to, you can get signed copies from waterstones.com. Um, as well as that, we're coming to Bristol. Looking forward to a night in Bristol, Damien? I am, yeah, very much. I think uh, I think it's a brilliant city and I think there's a lot of people there that might fancy a Christmas night out and come and hear some, uh, some of our stories. Yes, yeah, so we're going to be in Bristol on the evening of the 14th of December. We're going to be at St George's. Again, um, in the description to this podcast, there's a link. If you hit that, then you can get details on tickets. I would tell you we're, or we're going to be in Manchester as well on the 1st of December, but the tickets for that sold out in about two days. So um, we'll have to come back to Manchester at some point in 2022. But if you want to see us before Christmas, um, then come and see us at St George's in Bristol on the evening of the 14th of December, where we'll be talking about the book. Um, and it'll be a really interactive event as well, where you guys get really heavily involved in the show. So we're looking forward to that. Talking of the show... I just think we should get on with it. Welcome along to the start of Series 6 of the High Performance Podcast. If you've not listened to us before, it's where we just have conversations with some of the greatest sports people, business people, leaders from across the planet to find out the secrets to their success so that you can live a more high-performance life. Today, the episode is amazing. Here's what you can expect. I've suffered from depression in the last years. And it was like, I was one of those people who was like, yeah, it's not real. And uh, and I, I, in fact, went further and that. Uh, I didn't just think it was real, I'd use it to my advantage if I thought somebody was weak. Yeah, yeah, I either f- have no f- no feeling or just the most erratic feelings that don't make sense. Do not give up. Don't give up a session. Don't give up a goal. Like, you see them through to the end whether they're successful or not. Well, we can't wait. Coming up next, episode one. Series 6 of the High Performance Podcast. So, a brand new series of the High Performance Podcast, but the same brilliant, loyal, wonderful Lotus cars alongside us. I don't know whether I've ever really told you the story about this, but I just really sent Lotus a speculative message um, out of the blue a couple of years ago to a friend who worked there, and I said, look, I'm planning on doing a podcast um, you don't really know what it's about. You don't know if anyone's going to listen to it. You don't know if the interviews are going to be good, bad, or just average. But would you mind helping? Because it's going to cost some money and it would be amazing if you would be involved from the beginning. And you know what? Without even batting an eyelid, Lotus stepped up and said, yeah, do you know what? We love the concept of high performance. We will not just support you, we'll support you um, for the whole first year. Um, 
And they did, and then they were there again, and they remain with us now as we almost reach two years in March 2022 of the High Performance Podcast. So thanks once again for being with us this year, Lotus. Um, we love you so much, um, and it's a huge year coming up for Lotus Cars. So to find out more, just head to lotuscars.com or follow Lotus Cars across social media. Love you, Lotus. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. The legacy that today's guest will leave is clear. The greatest sprinter cycling has ever seen. Now, many careers are built on a single Tour de France stage win. This man has 34. Many other medals, many other awards and accolades have been bestowed upon him. But this interview isn't about cycling. It actually isn't even about what he's done. It's all about how he's done it. Conquering injury, illness, depression, self-doubt, disappointment, dealing with success, superstardom, great expectations. What a life he's lived. And it's a real pleasure to welcome to High Performance, Mark Cavendish. Thanks for having me, guys. Nice to see you. Let's start where we always do, Mark. What is, in your mind high performance yeah honestly like it's not just strive. I, I know a lot of people say like always strive to do your best but for me like <laughs> i don't know it's always not just striving to be your best but the best you know and you always get an extra thing and that you won't always be the best but always strive to be the best of anyone that's doing it of this competitive nature it's not necessarily that healthy sometimes but uh that's how i was always quite hardwired so See, that's a really interesting first answer, Mark, because I was telling you um, off air before that I'd contacted some friends of yours from back on the Isle of Man and asked them for their recollections of you. <laughs> yeah. And uh, a friend uh, called uh, Trevor had uh, told me that he was a few years above you in school and he's got a very distinct memory of you at the age of 10 telling kids that you were going to be the world's best ever cyclist. So where do you think that comes from? The cycling side of it, like I knew I was good quite early like it's not an arrogance thing you know when you you're actually really good at something without trying to be good at it you know what I mean that's that's a different thing but I don't know just at school whether it was a spelling test or whether in the school football team playing against others I had to win it, well, I couldn't, it wasn't just go out have fun or be, I had to win and turn everything in competition and 
I started cycling. I was always on a bike. I didn't, my family didn't ride a bike and I, like they didn't, you know, do it as a hobby or not. And I, I just had a bike. But when I think now, I was always on a bike and I didn't know that it was cycling that I loved. I just thought everyone rode bikes there, you know? But then when I started racing, like it was pretty, pretty quickly, like I knew it was something I could do. Do you know? Like, you, like I, I think you see it with, you know, you see it with young footballers, you know, when there's someone who's got something, you're Did like, you find it I'm going. Yeah, and I loved it. I think that was a, a key thing as well. You know, when you love something, you do it more, don't you? And then when you do it more, you get better at it. And when you, you get better at it, you love yeah. it more. It, it snowballs like that. It's, and it was just like that. And uh, so I was like 13 and I didn't want to race within the 14s anymore. I want to ride within the 16s. And then I won that, so I want to ride within the 18s. So that would, you know, when you know that, you know then you can be good, you know? And that's when I started to say, like, I'm going to be a cyclist. Like, there's... Why did you need to win? What was it that winning gave you? I know that you can look at some people and you can be like, okay, they needed to feel a self-worth or something like that. It was never anything like that. It was just a competitive nature, just a naturally competitive nature. So you say naturally competitive, right? Well, let's talk then about nature versus nurture. Yeah. Were you born with this or did your parents do something that loads of parents listening to this would love to do for their kids? And you're now a parent of three children, I'm sure they're all very different. So you now get a really fresh understanding of nature versus nurture. The one thing I can say is they were always supportive of everything that we wanted to do. Like in so many sports, different sports. I did ballroom dancing. I was in like, I, I played football, athletics, um, cycling. And I was even, I played, played in a band and that. We were always doing different things and always getting like, okay, it's, it's not like you're traveling miles and miles on the Isle of Man, but always getting caught around to do stuff, like always supported it. And like in the summer holidays and that, always at a different sports school and, and things like that. So they always like encouraged us or whatever we did. Well, they didn't force to do anything, but if we wanted to do something, they, they, they'd be like that. And, uh, but I know from the nature nurture side, I can just talk as being a parent that my youngest, Casper, is three, and he's been round cycling the least. Like round at the least, but he's, he's me. I see everything he does. You know, you, you see one, they're like, everything they do, you just laugh at. Cause it's like, what's, I know exactly what's going on in their mind. And uh, he sees a sprint and he sees bike race and he understands what's going on, understands the ride. It's, he's free. Wow. And he was on and a how bike. How do you know he understands it? What do you see? Just how he talks about it. He was always pushing to be on a bike at Christmas. We got him bike pedal, so it was two, two and a half. And I thought, okay, I reckon he'll get it in an hour or, or something like that. I'm going to teach me, me boy to ride a bike at, at, on Christmas Day. So I took him out, put him with his bike. And I went in to get the other bike for, for, for my other boy. And when I come out, Casper's riding around. So I was like, oh, half of me was proud, half of me was gutted because I couldn't teach him to ride a bike. But there's that kind of competitiveness even there. As I wanted to be the one to teach him, but he did it. He wants to do it. He watches what you're doing. He, he he watches and tries to take things in. I can remember doing that. And I can remember always, like, I still, to this day, like, like study races. And I, even if if I win, like, we were the first guys to look at our own sprints, whether we won or not, and analyze how they went and uh, and see what we can do wrong, what we did right. And, and even watching other people. And, like, subconsciously, you, you kind of can take things. You know, if you enjoy something watching it, subconsciously, you're you're absorbing what's going on. And so take us into your world there then, Mark. So when you're watching a, a rival, what are the kind of tells that you're looking for? 
it can be the timing of when somebody sprints or how strong their team is or just looking for tendencies really. Cycling's quite a, a, a different sport in that, uh, you know, if you have football, tennis is one versus one, it, it, it's team A or player A versus player B. Cycling, there's so many variables because there's 200 bike riders in the Tour de France, say. So although you've got the team, say 20 teams, but you all want to be in the same place of road. So some, you might have one team looking at the tactics of another team, but that plays in the advantage of, of, of another team because they're not watching what they're watching each other rather than watching it winning. And, and so you can't really, you can just study and know things so you're kind of aware of it while, rather than you, you use it as a... But what about characteristics of a rider where you think, I can break him on this moment or that he's going to be tough in a different context? Oh, yeah, a lot. And especially like, especially around like uh, how riders are in the head. And uh, it's actually, I know we're going we're, we're gonna to talk about it, but um, I always saw like, if somebody was quite mentally fragile, I always kind of use it to my advantage. And you, you, even if it's just a comment in the media or something like that, and you know you could get inside someone, it's only now since I've, I've like, I would have said like six years ago, seven years ago, yeah, depression or mental health issues is it's just an excuse it's it's just you just it's being weak grow up and so it's absolute karma that you know um i've suffered from depression in the last years and it was like i was one of those people who was like yeah it's not real and uh, and I, I in fact went further than that that i didn't just think it was real i'd use it to my advantage if i thought somebody was weak you know and uh it's not a weakness and it can be real quite damaging <laughs> and uh ultimately Okay, it worked for a benefit of, of mine in the past, but it's not something I'm, I can say that I, if I could take something back, that would be like something that, that I would just from understanding it from a personal perspective. Now, you know? So what are the things in your life now then that you think are better or you, you're different because of that mental health journey that you went through? Um, understanding people and people's situations, I guess. Like especially like sports people, like you have to be selfish. It's a... It, even if you're not a selfish person, what you do is selfish. It's, it's, it's what you do. And uh, you kind of absorb in your own little bubble. And it doesn't matter what sport you do. It's always, it's not even, you're not into sport or the world. You're into your sport, you know? That's why the Olympics is so, it's such a strange place to be, like the Olympics village and that. What makes the Olympics special is that you've got the top of every sport or they've all the swagger in their little bubble the whole year, the swagger. And you see... There's a real, like, in the villages and that, like, there's a real load of like, eyeballing going on because they all think they're the best at what they do. Like, you know, like, like when you're doing the stuff with the Premier League, like, they're the best players in the world. And then they're in their little bubble, like, you know? And so they got a swagger and they, you can get away with that swagger. And then when you put in with everyone else who's the best at what they do, do you see what I mean? It's, it's almost like... So your depression took you out of that bubble, did it? Yeah, it was like, it, it just made me realize that the work I had to do, it made me understand what a lot of other people have to do, you know, it's, there's, like, there's a struggle, like life is, life, life is a struggle, it's not all, like you just think if you put in work, it comes out, and of course you have crashes and stuff, but when, and I'd never had, a, I'd had setbacks, but never a real setback, you know, and especially over the last two years, a lot of people have gone through hard times, like like real hard times, harder times than, 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 than what I've been through. And you can have a, an empathy to that. 
and or an understanding of that that I perhaps wouldn't have had before because I was just in my little bubble, you know. So what were the warning signs for you then, Mark, that you that depression was creeping up on you? There was no warning. I didn't I didn't know and I, I didn't know something was wrong. It's you, you don't know. Um I was just diagnosed with it. I was so I was ill. Like I got Epstein Barr virus, um, which most people have. You get it when you when you're a teenager, I had it when I was a teenager, it's, it's glandular fever, you know? That stays in your body for most of your life. And it's like a coward virus that if if you run down, if you if you're stressed, it 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 can flare up. And I did this massive year in 2016 and I, I wore the yellow jersey at the Tour de France. I was world champion on the track. I was second on the road. I was second in the Olympic Games. And swapping between the road and the tracks is a big thing that it's hard to do. Consistently doing it throughout the year, it took its toll. And I think that's why I flared up being a 17. And I was, yeah, the, the biggest impact of Epstein-Barr virus is fatigue, like like chronic fatigue. And uh, I couldn't walk upstairs. I couldn't spend time with kids. I uh, couldn't do anything. And I tried to get back cycling. And I, I just come back. I, before that, like cycling, like I said, like, I worked hard. I was always professional. That's why I was better. But it was a game when I was doing it because... I knew I was training more than everyone else, so I could I could win, and that's what you got from it. Then all of a sudden, I was in this point that I wasn't just not competing for the win. I was like nowhere near a level that I could be professional. Like, and I was in real poisonous environment. I was in the current team that I was in. Yeah, they did like what I would do before and use it to, as a as a kind of to hit you with it, you know. And so I can't. What can I say? I was guilty of that before, and uh, but uh, yeah, like it didn't make any sense to me that I was. I went from you don't go from being the best to being the worst without something wrong, and then there was a perception that it was like, or, or it felt like that. Mm. So how were you made to feel then? Like, like you had this whole team on your shoulders, and you couldn't perform, and you expected to perform. You're carrying the weight of a team on your shoulders, but you can't do it, but you're not getting the support to be able to do it. Do you know what I mean? Yep. And so I'd gone, the team I, I, I was with, like they had a big charitable impact. They worked with a, a, a charity called Quebecer, which uh, through programs, they get bikes to underprivileged areas in South Africa, you know? And uh, that was a big reason I went to, uh, to this team. And it was only a small team, like it was a small team. And it was like, okay, we'll go there, I can use who I was as a... A catalyst for good. Yeah. yeah. And ultimately, it's, it, was a, it, it was that move that, that, that caused everything. Like, all, all of a sudden, like, I didn't think of the impact of... I thought I could do good with my name. I didn't realize that I then had to carry everything. And I was, you know, it wasn't like I was paid ridiculous amounts to carry that. And uh, it was just that, just put on. Like, no one else wins. Because then, you know, you're on a different kind of pedestal because when you've won everything, all you can do is lose. And then people, you know, people who don't win, they're always like, like all of a sudden, they, oh, well, they nearly won, they nearly won. They nearly, like, and it's still the same now. Like, I, we, we'll talk about the Tour de France this year, but like I haven't won for three years. I come back and it was great when I won a stage. And all of a sudden I felt quite soon that all I could do was lose, you know. Instead of winning four, like some people say, oh, hard luck for the Champs Elysees because it, come on, like you know. But like anyway, that's how it was. Like I had a different pressure than than anyone else, and uh, couldn't come back. And I was like saying something's wrong physically with me. Something's wrong. 
and they weren't, no one would do anything, no one would do anything. And then I called an old team doctor, like, and he's now, um, he runs the the uh, medical programs for Bayern Munich, FC Roma, like, like they said, the, he, he, he's the boss of the, the hospital in Hamburg. And just because I'd worked with him quite many years, you know, and I knew that he always believed me and trust me. I said, something's wrong with me, <laughs> like something's wrong. He said, okay, come to Hamburg and uh, got some physical and uh, yeah, mental tests and that. And uh, I got diagnosed with clinical depression and I still had Epstein-Barmer system. And they were like, okay, maybe you got it. You don't know which way it came. Sure. But it was but like as a guy with this kind of bulletproof self-belief that you'd hardware, you'd use that almost as a weapon to attack others with. How did you process that when they gave you that diagnosis? It was quite nice to have an answer. I knew something was wrong with me, but I didn't, you don't feel any, any way. It's not like, like, I think the word depression, people then think you're just going to be sad. You're not even sad. You just don't feel anything, do you know? Yeah. And you can be sad and things, but it's not a sadness. It's like something will get to you. It, it gets to you quite irrationally. Like it doesn't make sense why why something's annoyed you or why you're irritable about it. So what sort of things in that period would would you react strangely to? Oh, like, okay, I know like houses are noisy and kids going up, but like sometimes I'd hear every individual sound that was going on with the kids, and then even even my wife, Peter, like her walking would be like I I just want to go out of the house. That's like her walking in the house. And she's my best friend, you know, and we never argue. We never do. And like stuff like that, like a walk and annoying me. Like I think about it now, by the time you don't think about it and you don't think that's stupid because you, you don't know that, that whatever's going on, you just, yeah, you either have no, no feeling or just the most erratic feelings that don't make sense. So taking your your mindset then that you developed from being a young boy of wanting to be the best and wanting to conquer any challenge that you met. What lessons did you learn about uh, taking on depression that people listening to this would be able to, uh, to adopt? You know, when you, when you talk, a sports person can talk to another sports person about this, about sport is you understand what you understand what what it is you do more I, th I think i always find it anyway and uh with mental health issues as well i do find talking to someone of course people say talk to someone but i, I always find myself talking to someone who has experienced similar is a lot more beneficial you know it puts a different perspective it's, it's not like as well like you you won't necessarily get um just sympathy, you get a, a, a clear perspective on it. And uh, that, that, that helped me just like. So you found a, someone to talk to, did you? Who I, I had a few, a, yeah, a few a people to talk to. Yeah, um, no, 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 not really, no. Like I, I, I worked with psychologists in that in the past. I didn't really like sports psychologists and that. And uh, I was introduced to, to one guy and uh, he just was different how he was. And like, it wasn't like I had to speak to him every week in that, but I, you, I didn't think, I didn't feel like I was being assessed or judged or something. Do you, do you know what I mean? And likewise, like, you feel like you just want 
sometimes sympathy and it's not the best thing you know you have to have a clear and, and some people would tell me right do this do that like like right stop feeling sorry for yourself or stop going on a monologue like just, let's do something like write a list do a thing and, and it was these things that that kind of like proactive things like being a sports person you know you, you can't look at what's wrong you kind of look right what do i need to do to get there and put a process in place and that's how you get there you know right can you share with us any of the the processes that really worked because we have a lot of people who get in touch with us they listen to these podcasts they've got issues in their own life and these conversations really help them and i, I had a slight mental health crisis when i was much younger than you were i was 18 and i went to see someone and the best bit of advice that she gave me because i was obsessing about why i was feeling this way she said listen maybe this is just something that you're going to have to live with you might just have this and that was the best thing because i was able to let go of it and go yeah maybe i will and sometimes i get like a little tiny feeling where you think oh hold on remember that feeling from 20 years ago or 15 years ago but then i go i know i have it so it sort of sits in the background was there anything that was said to you or tools that you employed that you wouldn't mind sharing with us do you have any well do you like can i turn it around do you like do you know when you feel that feeling do you have anything that you, do you just get on with it or you have a coping mechanism that stops it coming my coping mechanism every time is just to say that it's a trick so i was just convinced that i was just going to do something wild and crazy right ridiculous stuff and i said to her i'm i'm I think this is going to happen. And she was saying to me, yeah, but people that do wild and crazy things don't sit at home obsessing that they're going to do it. I got to the point where I said to my wife, I'm going to employ a full-time person to be with me to make sure I don't do anything mad. And she, she was my girlfriend at the time, thankfully didn't leave. And then this woman said to me, yeah, the point is you're not going to do it because you're thinking about, you're thinking about doing it. So now when I, this, a thought will come in my head, a stupid thought, you driving along, I'll just crash the car, right? You go, stupid thought tricking me and it's a trick and it's so powerful because then you can totally change your thinking to be if you can write a bad story and believe it's real then you can also write a good story and believe it's real which takes us into the world of manifestations and positive mental images and believing you're going to do well and then you do and that's what works for me I, I don't know whether that chimes with anything that you that pops in your head when you get that feeling I don't know like I don't think I could go with just going that's a trick like I have to actively do something like if i if i if i get now like if i feel something i have to find something to do or, or some way to not be like, like you can it comes unfortunately a lot of people that suffering perhaps don't know they're suffering you don't know any different like i said you don't you don't know you're not kind of aware what's going on you don't do, have the you emotion know when you you're slipping back it's 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 like it's not trial and error. It's like from being there, from understanding it now. And it takes till you understand it to know when it's happening, if that makes sense. So unfortunately, I don't know the answer to someone who doesn't know they're suffering right now, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. But if you do know, and it does help to have a diagnosis, but it also helps if you're open with it um, because you, you can you can say, right, I need to do this now. Like, for instance, I, I yeah, I, I try and try and get surrounded by people as quick as possible. Yeah. Not necessarily people I'm gonna talk, like just just do something. I I do something that that is it's not it's gonna stimulate something else in my brain than 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 say perhaps what's gonna happen sure. if that makes sense. See, what strikes me, Mark, is just 
the bravery for you to be able to come out and speak so openly about depression, given that your previous history of seeing it as a weakness or, or a flaw in someone's character as opposed to their chemistry. So what advice would you give to anybody in terms of opening up and speaking? Like what have you found the benefits of it and also the consequences of it? Um, honestly, I don't know. I don't think, I, <laughs> I don't know apart from being able to embrace it yourself. I don't think opening up and talking is, it's good to talk to people like it, and people say that, but I don't rather, I think it's more of a, it stops you holding it in rather than you can get it back unless you're talking to someone who's who who suffered like i said and can understand a, a coping process or a or a strategy to get to get better but i think uh, the biggest thing i want to say by talking about it is that it's to the people that were like i was that would say it's it's weakness you you're a professional sports person or, or you you you're in you're in a high paid job whatever you do like that's why you get paid to deal with the stress. But it's not something you can, you can, like, I was one of them people. And so it's like, it's, it's real. It's, it's not, it's not a fear of failure. It's not a, you can't, you can't help it. it, it it's something going on with your body that you're not, it's not even that you're not in control of. I mean, you don't know you're not in control of it, if that makes sense. And I think, so it's more for the people that were like I was, that were like, push on it you know and we know there's some there's some high profile people on social media that that have done it through the olympics and that and it can be quite it, it can be really if me really damaging and i can just i just want to say it because i felt that journey i was like that well it's, it's good of you to come on here and talk about it like this it really is and i really want to talk now then about what happened in 2021 in the context of all this stuff and i it was very interesting for me because obviously we worked together almost 10 years ago at the London Olympics. And so I've loved following your career and keeping in touch since then. And I saw your tweet saying, oh, bloody hell, I'm in the Tour de France. And how, how, how soon before the tour started was that when you knew you were, it was not long, was it? Five days. And, and so I'm going to be honest with you. My wife said, I said, oh, look, Mark's in the tour again. And she went, oh my God, how do you reckon he'll do? And I said, I think he's just like, people just love having the name in the team. I, I don't think he'll do much. <laughs> Because I, like the rest of the world, had seen the journey without the understanding of what you'd been through. When you got that call that you were going to be in the tour with a few days' notice, did you think like me, well, you know, they obviously want Mark Cavendish's name, or did you go, brilliant, I'm going to equal Eddie Merckx's record and win stage after stage and be the sporting success story of the summer? Look, I wouldn't have gone if I didn't think I could be competitive, if I didn't think I could win. I, like I said, I strived So your belief hadn't been knocked by all of the things that we just talked about? Mm, no, but, no, but belief not because I did the process of, of what I need to do to be there. Perhaps in another year, like you don't have the same belief, but it's perhaps because you know you're not, you haven't trained the, the same or you've, there's someone who's going really good, you know? Like I'm quite realistic as when I'm going into something. And uh, yeah, obviously I wasn't the, the number one sprinter on my team. I'd come back to to the kind of quicks at my old team, and I was quite happy not to be the the have the pressure of the whole team on my shoulders. I was quite happy to be could get back and without that pressure like that, all I could do was fail. I could do what I wanted to do and go and choose how 
like how I was going to win bike race. You had a sense of freedom. Yeah, well, yeah, freedom from everything getting scrutinized. Like I could, I could ride my bike. I could just be a kid again riding my bike. And uh, okay, it's fortunate to be in that position. Like, but uh, there was already talk a couple of weeks before that Sam Bennett, the 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 number one sprinter team, had got a sore knee, and I was like, "Shit, I might go to the Tour de France." Like, and so I went to Italy on a training camp for ten days. I hadn't prepared for the tour. I hadn't done any climbs and that. And uh, even the team, like they'd said, don't bother going. Like he'll be all right. And I was like, well, it's, it's my like, if he doesn't go, I've got to be. I'm not going to be ready for the tour, but I've got to be as ready as I, as I possibly can be. And uh, I went out to Italy and uh, just trying to lose some weight for it. Just try and be in. I knew my sprint was there, so I knew it could. But it was about the Tour de France is more than just sprinting. You have to get to, and that, that's what I went there to prepare. And uh, I knew I'd be there thereabouts. Physically, I knew I could win a stage, and I should. And it wouldn't be luck that I won, but it'd be bad. Like something can happen that you don't win. You know, it's the Tour de France. Like I said, it's not one versus one. There's so many variables that can happen. But then when I won the first one, I knew I'd win multiple after that. Not just me, my my team. Like we, your perception of how good you're going is everyone's there. Then aren't they? You can know how good you're going before you against your competitors but when you're with your competitors then you can really know how you're going compared to them then you you know how much you can't you can't or you should succeed you know mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So when you describe this idea of having your self-belief and keeping that robust and knowing that even though there might be people doubting you, you think I can go there and do and do a really good job. Would you explain to us the process of how you develop and nurture that idea of having belief in yourself? I don't know, and I didn't know till till really recently. And I still don't know fully because it's always, always just there. I can't really put it into words. Apart from, you know, if you do a process and if you know you've not cut a corner in a process you do, that's how you know you can be your best. Mm. Yeah. To talk about being the best of everyone, I don't know. Like, 
But give us an example of what a process looks like for you. I have a training program. I have a target. Basically, like, you have a target power. That'll be a sprint power, say, a max power output. And you have a target weight. And the max power... Very for different people, like without going into too much. I I know what works for me. I know what should make me competitive with that. So I work on my sprint for that. Also, I know what I need to do to get over the climbs, and so it's a it's basically a power to weight ratio. Right. Yeah, you need to be able to put so much power at this weight, and you go this speed. But the heavier you are, the same power you go slower, or the less power you are, at the same weight, the slower you go. You know, yeah. it, it's so scientific now that you. You can pretty much know, you, you, you know, you do a lactate threshold test, lactic acid threshold test and that at the beginning of the year. So you can know what you can do to work on it. And it's like, I have a coach and I never really worked with a coach when I was younger. I just knew if I went out, I just trained hard. I knew if I trained hard, I was trained harder than everyone. I knew How if I trained longer. Though? I just did. Like it's, it's, it's your head, you know. What I'm saying, there can't be like that. In my head, there can't be anyone that's trained as much as me. But I can't, I physically cannot do anymore. I mentally cannot do anymore. I'm not cracking. I'm doing just when I think I'm finished, it's one more, one more climb, one more hour. What it's always like, you know, it was always like that. And how many times in all these years of training have you given up? Have you stopped and thought, now nah, I'm not going to, I'm not going to complete this today. I'm not in the mood. Um, do you allow yourself to go there? Because it struck me that could be a dangerous place. No, nah, sometimes it does, but it, it, it'd be once or twice, like, you know. In your whole career? Yeah, it's not It's not a lot. Like, uh, unless you physically, like, for instance, my training, my, my coach has set me training program now. And, and it, honestly, this is the first time I've really worked with a coach that I truly believe, like, even if I don't understand their process, yep. I trust it over my own like I, I would always question always question it and not question saying i don't think you're right just why am i doing this why am i doing that what are we getting from this explaining a race situation you know and uh but i've got this trainer now and he was a bike rider and he's like he's eccentric and there's but there's gene there's so much genius in it I, i'm like He's, I met him this year. I used to race with him 15 years ago when he was a rider. And he's like, if, if he told me to jump now, we're in BT Tower now. If he said, jump down there now, and I promise you, you go better, I'll go, I believe you. you know? see, see, that to me is yeah. fascinating because that's quite a big leap from, like when I was reading about your career, I, I read the, the uh, when Rod Ellingworth spoke about when you first went to Bitty Cycling and all the other kids turned up with parents, dropping them off, and he described you getting the boat over on your own, getting the train from Liverpool to Manchester and just showing up on your own. And it was that sense of independence and early ownership of being almost self-sufficient in many ways. So to make the leap to now trust somebody is a huge one. So what is it that's led you to open up and yeah. do that? Well, I've, no, I think... Uh... Like, it would be a nice thing to say it was an independence. That I, it, it probably wasn't a healthy thing. It wasn't really independence. It was just, it was a kind of a nature that I did my own thing, if that makes sense. Like, questioning what a, probably a professional coach says. 
not question what they do like you don't agree with it but asking it, it's probably not the best thing like like in society anyway that time of thing it's not the best thing to do but uh in terms of performance for sure like you it has bigger bearing to understand why you're doing what you're doing they're just just blindly doing it and uh as you grow up you you learn that people know shit you don't know do you know what i mean like yeah. people do stuff you don't do like and this the magic of the growth mindset yeah, exactly. right there. so in this coaching relationship then what's what's one thing that you've learned that you hadn't been doing previously in your career just on a physical perspective looking at recovery and and uh and stuff if that means like like, like re how rest is important as the actual training stuff okay. like that um and like you can go out and go hard but like real specific go this hard for this long because you like it's different to just going out and going hard or go or really go easy here because you can get a base in your but you're, you're riding your bike but you're not accumulating the fatigue you'd get so you actually right we need you to that you need we need you to not accumulate fatigue so you can be recovering for this race if if, if that makes sense yeah, yeah, yeah. stuff like that like just just like everyone else does I've, I've learned to be like everyone else and just trust the coach i guess you know just a scientific process more than just and is there an element of being kinder to yourself as well in there though mark of not like pushing yourself beyond the point of exhaustion or beating yourself up as no, no i don't think so i think uh i don't think i've changed at all in terms of when i was young didn't win i wasn't happy didn't matter why I didn't win, wasn't happy. As you get older, even before I, I had like like my, my bad years, like like I learned to understand that okay, if you something out of your control, you can't what can you do? You can't get angry about that. You can be upset about it, but ultimately it doesn't matter what you go away and analyze, you can't change it for the next time. That was just bad luck. What led you, know? you to to make that realization? Because just growing up really just growing up i think having kids that changes you as a person doesn't it it makes you understand things aren't in your control like i i, I used to have everything was in straight lines and like tight like completely tidy when i was a kid i weren't that tidy and then when i moved away when we started with the under 23 program i realized my mom's not gonna tidy my plate off the, and i became i started to tidy my stuff but just because i knew no one was gonna do it and it perhaps went like I got like quite that like, really tidy, you know. And uh, actually, having kids like you can't make them embrace the madness. Man. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's the only way. Yeah, but it's probably quite healthy for you as well. Actually, for someone who maybe if you were just full time in your cycling world, you'd end up with a bit of OCD or whatever, being obsessed about the small details. Kids remind you about the bigger picture, and I. I think this story of yours over the last few years has probably been really healthy in that in that respect. You know, we had Johnny Wilkinson on the podcast saying that washing up is as important as winning the Rugby World Cup because you're using your body to achieve a goal, is what he said. And if winning the Rugby World Cup is more important and he no longer plays rugby, is he less of a guy, right? We have Hector Bayer in the Arsenal player saying he lives like a candle. So he's got a constant flame, whether things are great or things are bad. He's the one in the middle, you know, his friends don't ring him when he loses games of football. His manager doesn't talk to him, whatever. He's stable. And I think 
there's a real element of this in your career. You know, you were like the main man when it came to the world of sprinting and everybody loved you. Then you had an illness and you struggled and the team around you didn't know how to deal with it. And I'm sure you still have in your head a list of people that stopped calling, stopped caring, stopped <laughs> wanting to be going out for drinks with you on whatever. But then when you get successful again, you get back in the tour and you have that amazing summer. It's probably a, a lesson you've taken to be stable and be in the middle because actually, as you've learned to your cost for a period of time, if you can't keep that mental stability and let all the madness roam around you, then it, it can impact you hard. Well, it still does though. Like I haven't learned to, to deal with it and be stable. I just learned to cope with when I'm a bit unstable, if that makes sense. So do you still, you still allow yourself to get really high with the winds and really low with the bad days or not? I think, yeah, to say allow myself to, no, but I feel it happening, if that makes sense. And d does that make sense? Yeah, okay. That's the negative side, right? It just, it comes to you. What about on the positive stuff? Like how long, for example, did you sit at home and pat yourself on the back for the tour you had? No, not, not at all. Not at all. Really, yeah? Like really. Have you ever done it in your whole career? Nah, not really, you know. Like, I always set another target. I think uh, it was never like, of course, I was happy with what I'd done, but I never, ever kind of looked back over my shoulder and go, no, that was good. Like, I always had to set something else to, to do. And there's been so many athletes that they've done one thing and they live off that and they can never then move forward again. And I think it was... Yeah, like the only the only thing that I probably would have, if I'd have probably won on the Champs Elysees, I'd have perhaps stopped my career and looked back on my old career at two days after the Tour de France. You think so? Do you know? I I don't know. Maybe I wouldn't. Maybe I wouldn't. But I think about it now. Mm. See, do you know why I think this is really interesting? Is because the one thing that defines you to me is relentlessness, right? We've all seen them, haven't we? People who are like the next big thing, and six months later you can't remember their name, but you've been there year after year event after event, win after win. But if you don't stop and enjoy it, what's the point? Don't know any different, mate. I don't know any, it's just what I do, it's who I am, it's what I did. I've got kids now that, like that changes a lot when you see how proud they are of you, it's nice, isn't it? Like, like it, it, you have a, probably the same hunger for the win, but it's for a different purpose. Like, you know, I didn't even know, I never knew the purpose. And probably I say now, I want to make my kids proud. It's the only purpose I can think of. <laughs> Do you know, I, I just don't know any different. It's all Are I've you done. proud though of yourself? Um, I don't know really. Has there ever been a moment where, you've, where when you think back over the highlights reel of, of, of your life even, that you go back to in your head and go, that was a moment where, I'd be happy to stand by. Actually, I'll go back. Yeah, that first winner this year's Tour de France and Fougere. Everything. I should have stopped riding my bike years ago. I should have. Everything was like my body was damaged. My mental health was damaged. My legacy was getting damaged every year I carried on and didn't do it. I was that guy that should have stopped. And I knew I'd come back. I, I knew... There was something wrong with me. I knew that if I knew I'd be better, I would have stopped. I wasn't hanging on to anything and doing it. And I was proud then, Jake. And I won. I like being back there. Like, like that was just 
fuck all he is like you know anyone who just give up even like the closest people i've known for 20 years give up you know and i, I said no I, I know i know what i need to do and and to do it and that was like i know everyone will say they've had hard times and a lot m m many many people like have had a lot harder times than i have so i'm not here but really if if i could get back to where i am from where i was anybody can get back if if you feel low if you feel like that like it's unattainable to get back just don't give up you don't give up like because and people give up around you do not give up so those people that did doubt you then i'm interested in how you've how have you dealt with the doubters since that moment where you have felt vindicated internally? It's like, it's not that like doubters, like, like fans or media, don't matter. Like that's... Uh, no, but you're in a circle. These people yeah. have known you for 20 years is what I'm interested in. It's a weird thing. Because if you doubt yourself and someone doubts you, then you've got that confirmation. So it's, it, it doesn't make any difference, do you know? Um, you might be like, oh, but... You've given yourself that excuse. If you know what's going on with you, it's your body. Like, yeah. do you know? You know what's going on with you. And you know, a lot of people take stuff as an excuse, if that makes sense. Yeah. And you're, you know that if something's not right or something's going to hinder you, you know before you go into it, what's going to happen. And you know you're not going to be able to succeed because that's going to happen. And but you saying it before, and then it happens, and then like well, you make an excuse. Well, I told you before that it was yeah. going to happen. Do you see what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And you say I just need this in place, this in place, this in place, and they go, well, nah. You know the excuse before you go in, but you know it's not. If yeah, that yeah. makes sense, you it's know the it. Process stuff again. Yeah, it? it's literally. Knowing yourself is so important, isn't it? Yeah. And, and having the courage to believe that what you believe is, yeah. is the way to go. So it seems that you're ruthlessly honest with yourself. You know, like in a situation like that, you're honest that I've, I'm not going to be able to win. So how do you handle bullshitters? Well, I've got no, no time for <laughs> like, yeah. but it. Come, that's why it can come across like, like, but even down to like, it, it can be... It can come across as frosty, can't it? Because it's got no time for it, for bullshit. Or, or someone who's not committed to their job. Anybody who works with me, like, I'll give them 100%. I expect they give 100%, you know? Even journalists, like, like, I get frustrated and, like, I can't hide it. You know, with, like, a an uneducated question, like, someone who's... Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like you can tell a good journalist from like someone who's just, they're just getting a quote or something, or not even just getting a quote. They haven't put work into their job. They're not put any, and it's, it's not just they're insulting to me. It's insulting to them and their colleagues. Like, do you know what I mean? That they're just plowing through do, doing that. And, and I can't hide that frustration that someone not giving 100% to what they, they have, like, you know? I've really enjoyed 
this conversation because I came into this really desperately hoping that we would try and get some kind of insight into how someone isn't successful once, but they're successful time and time and time again. And I think whether it is not suffering fools, setting your own standards, being totally honest with yourself, finding the process, and then knowing yourself so well that you stick to that process when others are there to knock you off it, it's been so interesting, so interesting. We always finish with some quick fire questions, if you don't mind. And the first one is a popular one. People will take this on board and they'll live with it. So you better, you better give us a good one here. Three non-negotiable behaviours that you, similar to what we were just talking about, that you and the people around you must buy into. What are the three things they have to bring to the table to be part of Mark Cavendish's circle? A commitment. Uh, passion for what you do. And like team, teamwork like has to work, have to be at work in a team. If you could go back to one moment in your life, what would it be and why? I don't know if that's quick fire. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's, there's, there's a fair few that I don't know. I can't pinpoint one. There's some real beautiful times. Um, my kid's being born. And there's also some times that, you know, when you finish a race, Sean's Elisa this year, straight after I'm like, let's rewind it <laughs> just do it a different way there's so many for good and bad i don't know i'm sorry i don't know how important is legacy to you yeah pretty important i'd quite like it what would you like it to be i don't know it's not i don't want to write the legacy i don't i don't want to say what it is um i don't think one one can can say what it should be that it, it but you know like ancient greeks the biggest honor was to have a legend named after you and it was, was to be told in, in, in Greek mythology. And uh, I always had, you know, if there's a book of good cyclists, like, like you talk about Eddie Merckx and or if, if you talked about Eddie Merckx or Bernardino or, or Freddie Martyrs, I wanted to be in that list. That was it, but I don't know how. A book, a podcast or a TV series that our listeners should absorb. There's one coming out at the end of the, week, uh, the, end of the year. For there Christmas. you go, that'll be the one. Um, and the final, be... final question. <laughs> What is, and this is something to leave our audience thinking about really, and we've spoken about so many different things, but what is your one golden rule for people to live a high performance life? There's two. Go on then. You have to, you have to enjoy what you're doing. You don't always love it, or it can be hard work, but you have to love it. It's a, it's a passion. You, ha you have to do that. And do not give up. Don't give up a session. Don't give up a goal. Like, you see them through to the end whether they're successful or not. There you go. And that's how you win not once, but win relentlessly. Uh, what an interesting conversation. Thank you so much for coming on here. And I think it's especially powerful, the conversation we have about, you know, vulnerability and sacrifice and struggle because you're still a competing athlete. It's always very different, I think, when someone's retired and they go, oh, now I can really tell my story. The fact that you're willing to have these conversations and then go out on the road and compete against other people with them knowing these things about you, I think is, uh, is testament to you as a person. So thank you. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me, guys. Damien. Jake. Oh, wow. Um, what a way to start the new series. I, I hope people get loads from that because I think, um, I do think you hear former athletes talking in a way that's not dissimilar, but I have never heard someone still competing on the global stage at the level he is at to come onto a podcast like this and talk with such honesty. I know. I think the word that I'd describe him there was just courageous. There was a couple of times where the silence that we could feel while we were chatting with him felt really quite heavy. 
And it was where I think he was weighing it up and then decided to make the courageous option of being honest with us and sharing some of those views that has just raised him even higher in my esteem. What stands out for you from the chat? It was that conversation where he described that previously he'd felt bulletproof and he would use mental health as a stick to beat opponents with. He would see it as a sign of weakness or something that uh, was a chink in their armour until it happened to him. And I think he's understanding that, you know, it's that great saying that depression is a flaw in someone's chemistry, not in their character. And for him to recognise that, that it's not something that means somebody's weak or that they're soft. It's a condition that can afflict all of us. And the humbling nature of realising that by going through it himself was, was powerful. And I hope people listening to this that maybe have some of those same challenges see it as a as something to reach out and talk to and and get help for not to struggle on alone and i think it's also a good reminder isn't it that all things pass and i think that when he was at the top of his game five or six years ago he would have felt invincible and i'm going to be here forever and then he gets epstein Barr, as he spoke about on the podcast and he suffers with mental health problems and i'm sure at that time and lots of people listening to this will relate to the fact that when you're in that you feel like you're going to be in this place forever now he goes back into the tour, has the most unbelievable run over the summer, is without question now the greatest sprinter cycling has ever seen. And I think he now has an understanding that also this does not last forever. This will pass as well. And it's now for him, it's about being more than defined by cycling and defined by results and defined by wins. It's about the person underneath and making sure that person's looked after. Yeah, and I think it's felt a real privilege that he's come and chose to show that real person to us on the podcast and for anyone listening to this I hope I hope they recognise the, uh, how lucky we've been to have experienced it Damien let's dive into some of the uh, messages that we've been receiving from people while we've while we've been away um, here's one from Sam Robbo 18 who um, left us a five star review on Apple Podcasts thanks very much for that by the way if you can rate and review the podcast it makes a huge difference to us He says, um, I first listened to this as a PE teacher and presumed it was a podcast all about sport. How wrong was I? Every episode brings something different and helps me to really think about every aspect of my life, from leadership at work to parenting my children, even my own values and beliefs and how I live my life. I love listening to the passion and the experience of all experts. Thanks for making a podcast that resonates with me so much. The thing I want to mention there is the, the PE teacher element or more specifically the teacher element. Why do you think this podcast has been consumed so readily by teachers? I mean, they message us in their hundreds every month. Yeah, and it's incredibly flattering that these people that are charged with shaping the minds of our next generation are kind enough to listen and are looking for ideas that they can use and implement themselves. So, first of all, thank you uh, on behalf of all of us here at the High Performance Team for those teachers. I think to answer the question though, Jake, I think some of it is because you're never a prophet in your own town is a phrase that we've used before. And sometimes as a teacher, when you've got the challenges of being familiar with those children, whilst that comes with lots of advantages like trust, sometimes you go, oh, here you go again. So if you can sort of bring those same messages that they're doubtlessly preaching, but you're hearing someone like Mark Cavendish today, one of the greatest cyclists of all time, telling you the same thing of, you have to communicate, you have to talk to people if you're having uh, struggles, for example. Maybe that message just goes in a little bit deeper with those young people. So hopefully it's just a case of using the messages from the podcast to complement 
the brilliant work that that those teachers are doing themselves. Tom P83 also pinged us a message. Funnily enough, I'm a head teacher of a primary school. Who'd have thought it? And I found these podcasts incredibly useful to share anecdotes with staff. On our PD day recently, I used Eddie Jones' section about the importance of investing in relationships. I've got so many takeaways, whether it's being true to yourself, Jason Kenny taking risks, Christian Horn looking for green lights, Matthew McConaughey, or living in the present, Johnny Wilkinson. There are always insightful messages that leave you pondering how you can apply it to your own life and occupation. And one of the things I really want people to understand, Damien, is it's great to listen to the podcast. And if you get something from it, then wonderful. And if you get something from it that makes a tangible difference to your life, then even better. But pass it on. I still think we live in a society, we live in a world where we think passing on wisdom or information or sharing things you've learned is a job for somebody else. It's a job for a teacher. It's a job for a psychotherapist. It's a job for a leader or a line manager. It should be everyone's job, shouldn't it? To listen to this podcast, find what works for you, and just share it with people. That's a brilliant idea. I think if there was a almost like a mission statement that we have on this is it's about making common sense, common practice. And everybody has their role to play in doing that, of just sharing a little bit of wisdom, a little bit of a nugget that you've heard somebody share from the sharp end of, of, of high performance. People that are under the magnifying glass of public scrutiny are coming and sharing with real honesty and candor. This is what I've learned. This is what you need to know. And I think if it resonates, absolutely pass it on. And let me just shout out a few of the names of people that have left us some um, reviews in the last little while. Dan Rich, Finster68, Dingley Dale 67, Stephen, Caledonian Canuck, Emma Nixon, Nazgul72, um, <laughs> Christy UK. I, I won't, uh, they only gave us three stars. Listen, uh, so, guests are good, some exceptional, but the, <laughs> the interviews are hit and miss. <laughs> Unbelievable. Unbelievable. <laughs> feedback is no, a gift. Listen. Oh. <laughs> feedback is a gift. Thank you very much for sharing with us. But I do want to end with this one. This one's from Emma Nixon. I love this podcast. I was hooked from the beginning and I'm so pleased to see it go from strength to strength. As a small business owner who left the big corporate world, this podcast gives me inspiration and motivation that can be difficult to muster when you work by yourself day in, day out. And I think that is one thing I really just want to mention, Damien. So many people, particularly over the last 18 months, have had to isolate or be on their own. And then we talk about how great it is for the environment that we're all going to work from home now and we can operate in a totally different way. For some people, that brings loads of fear because they're not surrounded by friends and family and they're not living in a place where they've got neighbours either side. And suddenly isolation becomes a big thing. And I'm really pleased that this podcast is there to help those people. But I think we also have to have this real mindset that now, almost more than ever before, is the time for us to be reaching out and talking to people. Definitely. I think one of the biggest predictors of people suffering with some of mental health challenges, such as depression, is that a sense of isolation where we feel we're cut off from other people. And that's why I think joining our community here, a high performance community, where we just share wisdom, we share ideas, we've got the circle, you can join as a member where you can see the keynote speeches of other incredible high performers. I think feel free to come to reach out to contact us because we want to establish a community of like-minded people that want to lift each other up and make the world a better place. Well said, Professor. Um, and if you're wondering how you can join the club that Damien mentioned there, all you need to do is go to the High Performance Podcast 
www.hypersportsclub.com and there you'll get details about our members club, the High Performance Circle. You can sign up right there. You can get involved. You can order the book. You can find us on YouTube as well. If you want to subscribe on YouTube, then great. Um, and if you can, rate and review us, then that also makes a huge difference to us. Thanks, as always, to our founding partners, Lotus Cars, for being on this journey with us. Um, I've said this a few times, but I love saying it. Thank you to Finn for his hard work on the podcast from Rethink Audio and Sophie King for her hard work as well. And the whole team behind the podcast, uh, Will, Hannah, Eve, everyone else involved in making this podcast happen. We couldn't do it without you. Thanks absolutely to Professor Damien Hughes. But most of all, as always, huge thanks to you. Please remember, this podcast isn't something that's changing your lives. You are the thing changing your life. And if we help you get there, then we're delighted to be involved in that process. Thanks very much for joining us. Wherever you are, I hope today's High Performance Podcast was useful for you. And we'll see you for another episode very soon. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.